Well, today we will be um, looking uh, in our Bibles at the, the book of First Kings, which is in the Old Testament. So if you want to find First Kings chapter 19, we'll get there in just a few seconds. Um, they'll give you time to thumb through. It's right before Second Kings, if that helps anybody. Um, so have you uh, seen the show on the History Channel called Alone? Have you seen that show? It looked that... There's been like nine seasons so far. I think the 10th season is getting ready to come out or is already out. I don't remember. We watch it um, from time to time. And uh, it's like the Super Bowl of survival of the fittest, literally, out in, in the wilderness. And it puts the, the, like the show survivor to shame uh, when it comes to actually surviving in the wild. Uh, because there's no reward challenges in, in this. It's just um, live and you get to, to stay, basically. And um, so what they do is they take 10 people, and they helicopter them into a, a very remote wilderness place. It's so far, I think it's been in Alaska and in Canada, um, and a very dense forest, always next to a water supply and everything. And they just leave them there, alone, hence the name, Right? And the goal is literally to survive on your own while you're alone. Nobody's helping you. Nobody's doing anything. They have to build a shelter, okay? And I think we have some pictures of the, some of the shelters that have been built. Um, they have to find their own food and trap and then hunt and uh, deal with all the critters that would love to be eating whatever they're eating or eating them uh, for for. Uh, their own personal gain. That's what bears do, right? They just want to eat too. And each person is uh, always, they're always near water, a water source, so that, because that's important. But um, they, they land and they're dropped in and they're put in, they, it really puts the wild in wilderness. And it's, you got to watch it. It's awesome. The contestants, they ha they're able to take along a few things, okay? They're given, uh, they, they can take along a small number of survival um, tools. They're given a, a large backpack, and they can fill it with the clothes that they feel like they need and the supplies that they feel like they need within. Uh, there's some prohibited items, and there's some um, suggested items. Like, they get a list of, of uh, very good survival tools. They get to choose 10 things off that list. And um, the most popular being fish line and hooks. And the second most popular is pot, right? They want to be able to cook their food if they, if, that's a big if, if they can catch it. And um, the, the prohibited ones, there's, there's all kinds of, no, only one person out of all nine seasons, 90 people, only one person took a bar of soap, which is interesting. You don't need soap to survive. So there you go, kids. Um, you still need to wash your hands, though. Um, <clears throat> there's a list of things that you're not allowed to take because living in the wilderness, obviously, you know, it's not easy enough. So you can't take any guns or ammo, no crossbows, like, um, like commercial high-powered hunting gear. You can't do that. No rafts or fishing poles. You want to fish, you take the fishing line, but you got to make your own pole, right? You got to do it the old-fashioned way. And um, funny enough, there's no beauty products allowed to, to go... And I don't even know why that's on the list. But if nobody's going to take soap, they're not going to take gel for their hair either. Um, and, and they have to use that stuff all to remain alive in the wilderness. Who wants to do it? Anything, anything you can handle it? The goal is to do it longer than the other people. You don't know when the end is. 
And so you want to go long, and you don't know when they've all finished and tapped out. So here's how, how they describe it. It's brave participants are forced, they're not really forced because they volunteer to do it, are forced to use their wits when left in the wilderness with nothing but a backpack and struggle with the harsher weather, hostile locations, and aggressive wildlife. That's a very watered-down version of what really happens. It's crazy. And, and here's the thing. No camera operators even go along because they're literally alone. So they train the people up a little bit before uh, the, they go out into the wilderness, and they give them like these GoPro cameras. I think there's two or three, and they can set them up. They show them what to do. They have to do interviews every day just to kind of check in and tell people how they're doing. Um, but they're literally alone. They do their own filming, and they're truly by themselves. So um, you'll have to watch a few episodes and, and kind of get the idea. The people, though, are incredible. The, these people, the, the way that they hunt and the way that their survival skills and their knowledge of what to eat, like what plants to eat and what not to, because that can wipe you out in a heartbeat, right? And how to catch, make their own snares, and it's incredible to me, and how they can make a, uh, you know, make a whole shelter with just a hatchet and, you know, uh, their own spit, basically. They just make things out of nothing, and it's really, really cool. And they have these weekly health checks. The, the doctor comes in to make sure that their nutrition their nutrition's staying up and they're not gain, losing too much weight and those sort of things. Because they can go literally two, three, eight weeks. It's been a long time. What's the longest one? You remember? 100 days. Thank you. Holy cow. 100 days on your own out there in the trees, in the wilderness. And um, so they do all these amazing feats, right? But you know what the hardest part that every one of them has to deal with? The hardest time is not the elements that they're fighting and fighting off all the bears and the wolves. That's not the hardest part. You know what the hardest part is? Loneliness. They miss their families. They, they miss being with others. Even though those health check people come once a week, you, you'll lose track of how um, how long it takes. And some of them will tap out. They have, a sat they have a satellite phone or an emergency button. They have a GPS tracker. So if they get lost, people can find them. Um, and so they, they can call and say, I'm done. But you don't know what the other people are doing. And, and so you, they might come and get you and tell you, yeah, you won or keep going because it's not over yet. And as much as the peace and the quiet and the uh, aloneness sounds really good sometimes, right? That's what they, they find is the hardest part of this entire contest. Well, today we meet a guy named Elijah. And, and this is our final installment of the series we've called Face to Face, where um, we come face to face with how God deals with some things in our lives. And, and, and we looked at a few people and that have come face to face with Jesus, and it changes their lives, right? And we read about Elijah, basically, he's, he's the prophet of God in the Old Testament, right, at the time. So basically, he's the bullhorn for God's voice in the world. And their world was a little bit smaller at that point. So um, he was speaking for God on the earth to all that, would, that were there. And we read um, Elijah, although doing incredible things in the name of God, he felt like he was alone in the world. So here's Elijah talking about the Super Bowl of survival. 
Um, this Elijah's uh, biggest incident in the world um, is the Super Bowl of all Super Bowls between the gods, okay? The God of the universe and the gods that some of the people would worship. And so um, Elijah's having this major showdown with all the 450-some prophets of Baal. And the idea is, uh, the, the setup is this. It's God versus man's gods. And the objective is to, to call down fire from heaven to accept an, an offering, a sacrifice. And whoever could call down fire from heaven is the winner, basically. And, and so the Baal prophets, they go first and they pray. They, they put the offering, they put the, the sacrifice on the altar, and they're, they're praying and they're praying and Elijah starts to talk a little trash on him, like, well, maybe your God, he can't hear so good. You should pray louder, right? And so they pray louder, and they get excited. He's like, well, maybe he went to the bathroom, and he can't hear you. Maybe he'll be back in a minute. No. And so they're, they're like, literally, they're cutting themselves. They're trying their best to get their God of Baal to throw down fire from heaven. Well, didn't happen, right? Then it's Elijah's turn. And so Elijah puts the sacrifice on the altar, the wood, and the altar of the stones. And then he has a trench dug around it, and he dumps water over it over and over and over again until that trough, they have a moat around the whole altar. And remember, it hadn't rained in three and a half years. So water, I don't know where they got it, right? It was because they're up on a mountain. So um, water was kind of scarce at that time. And, and here's the thing, and here's what uh, Elijah does. He prays. And um, he prays this prayer in, in, in chapter 18. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, which we know is Jacob, right? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We've talked about that a couple times in the last few weeks. Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And guess what happens? God delivers. Fire from heaven. Boom. It, it, it burns up the, the sacrifice, the wood, the rocks, all the waters lapped up. And God shows out because of this prayer and his faithfulness to Elijah to show who he is, that he is the God, not just a God. And, it, and, all the, and, and then in turn, all the prophets of Baal, they get slaughtered. Uh, we kind of always throw that to the side, the, the murder part. But, um, you know, they, they were representing something bad, and the wrathful God is not going to have that. And that's the way it was back in those days. So God gives Elijah um, this ability, and he prays again. And he prays again, and he, you know, he prayed three and a half years earlier to stop the rain completely. And that's what happened. God did that for him. He, again, again, he prays after, after the, the fire from heaven comes, and God turned the water back on. And, it, and he shows a little bitty cloud, and it starts to rain, and God gives him some boosters to get back. He outruns all of the chariots and the horses and everybody back into town. Again, God gives him the power to do these things. So in a world where victories are in short supply for Elijah, God does some really great things through him in just a small amount of time. And after he gets all this stuff done, 
Um, this, he did amazing things. He gets a threat. He gets one little threat from Jezebel, the queen. And it, it goes like this in verse 1 of chapter 19. Now Ahab, who is the king, Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me ever so severely, if by tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. In the very beginning of verse 3 is what, what gets me. And it said, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. God had just done all that stuff, the running thing, the fire thing, took care of him, the rain came back, but one death threat to God's man, and he runs because he's afraid. Not 24 hours before, all of this stuff had happened, and God, God was going to protect him. God always protected him. That's the way he took care of him. And finally, Elijah, he takes off, and he finds a place that he thinks he's safe in the wilderness. It's time to survive, right? Just like the, the people in Alone. And, and he pleads with God to just, just take my life. He said, I, he was tired, right? He told God, I've had enough. Like, he told God, I've had enough. Seriously. And, and, and God sends him an angel because he's taking a nap because he's tired. And he wakes, uh, he wakes Elijah up and he says, all right, you need to get up and go. We're going to take this. He takes a 40-day hike. And he ends up on the Mount of Horeb or Mount Sinai which is familiar to all of the Israelites. Why? Because that's where God spoke to Moses. The Ten Commandments happened up top on that mountain, and probably the rest of all five of the Pentateuch books, right? All the information that was needed. The outline was set. And so Elijah goes up there, and he goes into a cave, and he makes a camp. After so many great things that God had done, proves himself over and over again to Elijah, which is important, right? You want to have that confidence. And Elijah had the confidence. He's the one that called. He poured water on the sacrifice, right? So, um, he, and, and so he approaches Elijah, and Elijah, all he does is complain. He gripes, and he complains, and he whines. So he and God have this little heart-to-heart. And uh, you can follow along. It's in uh, chapter uh, 19, starting with verse 9. There he went to the cave, Elijah went to the cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, Elijah says, I, I have been very zealous for you, Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword, and I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on a mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountains, tore apart the mountains, and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood in the mouth of the cave. And the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So Elijah 
couldn't be feeling sorrier for himself, right? God sends him on this 40-day hike after this great battle, but he gets a death threat, and he's scared. Even though he's having this conversation with the one true God, he knows that for sure because of what God did up on the mountain by calling down fire. And, and there is, here, here's the story. The Christian life is not so unlike the way Elijah felt. Okay? To be a Jesus follower, it's hard. It's taxing. Being called to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth, to live a life worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, it's not easy. Quite the contrary, it is hard. Jesus knew that it was hard. He told us it was going to be hard, right? And Elijah was feeling the weight of the calling that he had on his life to serve God. And he was wandering. Not literally. He knew where he was going. God sent him. But he was wandering spiritually. And he was just wasn't feeling it. Have you ever just not felt it sometimes? Have you ever felt like, eh, I don't know, God. You know, it, it, we get that way. And God has to ask Elijah this question. Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Has God ever asked you that question? Hey, what are you doing here? You know you're not in the right place. What are you doing here? Have you ever responded with a list of whining and complaining? Most likely, right? Here's Elijah's list, right? God, pray, God, I prayed, and I stopped rain, and the rain stopped. I prayed, and fire came down from heaven, evaporated the sacrifice, the altar, the, the water, all of it, right? I prayed, and the rain came back. And then I outran all the horses and the chariots back to town. I've done everything you've asked me to do, God. I've done it. And I'm the only person left that's a godly person. And that was a little bit too far, right? That was just a little bit too far. God answers. All right. He answers probably not unlike a parent would answer, right? Uh, we react to our kids uh, when they're stuck in this woe is me, you know, everybody's against me kind of thing. Um, sometimes that's tough love, right? But God answers in a forceful and gentle way. He tells, <clears throat> he tells Elijah, go out in the opening of the cave. And this is familiar because he did this with Moses at one point, right? And the, the backside of God's glory passed by Moses, and he was lit up like a Christmas tree for months, right? So he tells Elijah, go out in the mouth of the cave because I'm walking by. And he's like, oh, God's coming by, all right? And the wind came. And it was the kind of wind that ripped mountains apart, right, and shattered the rocks, not your average tornado-y kind of wind. It was God wind. But God was not in the wind. And then this massive earthquake shook the entire earth. No Richter scale for that one, okay? It was a God earthquake. But God was not in the earthquake. That's what we find out in, in 1 Kings. Um, and, then, and then there's fire. You know, Elijah already seen fire come from heaven. But this fire came from heaven with massive force. But God was not in the fire. You know, I envision that kind of fire would be like reverse fireworks. The kind where you go, oh, yeah, that was a good one. That's the kind of fire that kind of perks up, right? And those fireworks better be great for what you pay for them. Um, but uh, all the power 
all that force in the wind and the earthquake and the, and the fire. And God was not in the wind. He was not, he caused the wind. He created it. He created the earthquake and the fire. After all that mighty display of power, where was God? You would think that all of Elijah's complaining and sulking, God would just let, get his attention with, with the wind and the fire and the earthquakes. And, and this is how we would react as a parent, right? Stop with the excuses. Just stop, right? Oh, you're a oh, poor baby. I'm so sorry that you're having a hard time, right? But me doing, I mean, Elijah gave all this list, and there was a lot of eyes in there, wasn't there? I stopped the rain. I called down fire from heaven. It was a lot of Elijah, but it was all God that did it, right? And God says, I just made you look great, Elijah, and I answered your prayers. And you're telling me that you're all alone? Elijah, what are you doing here? That's where God was. He was there with a whisper. The type of whisper that you hear if someone's right next to you. Elijah, what are you doing here? The type of uh, whisper that... Um, like if your kids are asleep, you come home late and you don't want to wake them up, but you go and tell them you love them. It's that close. It's that faint, but it's that intentional. It's uh, the type of whisper that has to be so personal and so intimate that Elijah would know for a fact that he was not alone standing out on the mouth of that cave. God displays this great power, and Elijah tries one more time to plead with God. He says, I've been so zealous for you, God. I've been working overtime here. I'm doing all of it. I'm doing all the heavy lifting. For, it's for you, by the way, God. Don't forget, it's for the Lord God, whose name I've been sent, right? And God's response, he, he just sends Elijah. He just ignores him. <laughs> it's, it, we do this with our kids a lot of times, too. All the whining and complaining, and you just move on to the next thing. Because it doesn't do any good to complain and, and gripe, does it? So God just gives him a list of things that he has to do. He kind of smacks Elijah on the back, and he says, hey, let's go. All right, it's time to go. you got work to do. I need you to go to anoint a new king in Aram. I need you to go and anoint a new prophet. His name's Elisha. He's your replacement, and you got some training to do, okay? I need you, oh, by the way, Elijah... There's 7,000 people in Israel alone that have not been their knee and bowed down to Baal. You're not alone in this world. Remember, I'm here. You're not alone. So, what are you doing here? Probably asking yourself that right now, right? What are you doing here? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Are you in a place in your life where God is coming to you and he's asking you this question. Two times he asked Elijah, what are you doing here, man? What's going on? He knew right where Elijah was physically. He had the GPS too, the God positioning system. He was there. He knew it. <coughs> so part of God's plan is he's being used for. He's headed down. His head is down He's working hard, doing God's work, very important, ordained God work, right? And yet he has no idea when God asked him where he was spiritually. 
Sometimes we find ourselves in sort of a spiritual wilderness, just like Elijah was in. And it happens, you know, from time to time when you, do not, you don't feel like God is moving in your life or anyone else's for that matter, right? But let me share with you, he's working. He, even if you don't feel it, he is working in you. He's working in the lives of others. So uh, because of that, we need reminders a lot of times, don't we? And much like Elijah, when we feel alone... Uh, God has a way of reminding us that he is always with us. And it was in a whisper with Elijah that he's always with. We were in Alabama this week, and it rained every day. Um, it was kind of miserable because you don't play baseball in the rain a whole lot. But one of the things that happened was this perfect full rainbow one day. You know what that is? It's a reminder. It's a promise, a reminder of a promise that God made to us. Uh, maybe, maybe you have a friend that you haven't connected with in a while, and they just reach out to you out of the blue. And they say, hey, thank you for this and this back when, and so on. And you know what that is? It's a reminder that God is working. And it doesn't have to be an immediate result or immediate response when you do the work that God's asking you to do. Sometimes it takes some time, and that's the reminders that we need. Maybe you wake up and you just see your family and your heart swells a little bit because you realize how blessed your life is. You know what that is? It's a reminder that you're not alone. And some, of the, some of the greatest reminders in, uh, of, of God's pre- presence in our lives, they're not in the big earth-shaking, public, earth-shattering miracles that God does. And he does do those things. But it's in a whisper. It's in a whisper in our heart. The subtle but powerful presence of God's voice that speaks to our heart and, and leads us in the direction that we need to go. And that reminds us that he's here, that he's always with us. Elijah needed that reminder, and God didn't really pay much attention to his complaining. He's not for that. He'll listen, but he'll just move on, and that's what he did with Elijah. He just continued to give him a list of things to accomplish in God's name. And when he dropped, and then he drops in, oh, by the way, you're not alone. There's at least 7,000 more people that haven't bowed down to Baal that are for me as well. A reminder of the measure of love that we have, that, um, that, that God has for us, right? Today, we have a reminder set in front of us today in the sacrament of communion. And um, this is a reminder of what Jesus did for you and me on the cross. It's, it's, it's a sacrifice for our sins, for my sins and for yours, the sins of the whole world. It's the, the reminder of what it took, this measure of love that, that, of, of, for the Son of God to die for you and me. And Jesus has invited us to this table as a reminder. I want to um, encourage those that are going to help us with communion to come forward, please, and uh, ready themselves. And uh, most if you could come and just play, that would be awesome. Um, so communion, it's open to all that believe in him. In the Nazarene church, communion is called open 
just means that you don't have to be a member of our church to partake in communion. But what we do ask is that you uh, believe that Jesus is your personal Savior. That, um, and, and it's really simple. If you haven't done that before, um, we, we, you're invited to do that right now as well. And it's, it's just, just it's simple in the fact that we just accept a free gift of grace that is extended to us. You can pray right now and do that. Just pray, God, I'm a sinner. I, ask, I just ask you for your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, and I want him to be my Savior. And so if you say that prayer, if you believe that in your heart, God will change your heart. That's what our goal is, is to lead others into that grace-filled relationship with Jesus Christ. And God changes our hearts, and he truly, from that point on, you will never be alone. So as we pass the elements, we're going to pray here in just a moment. We're going to pass the elements. We just ask that you hold on to them and just reflect. Uh, Melissa's going to play and, um, and just reflect on what God has done for you. And thank him for never being alone in his presence today. So let's pray. Um, Lord, um, we just thank you so much for um, all that you do. And as we gather at your table, Father, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who by the Spirit anointed to God to, to us, anointed us to preach the good news of the Christ, that He healed the sick, that He fed the hungry, He ate with sinners, He established the new covenant and the forgiveness of sins, Father. That we live in this hope of Him coming again. Thank you for this reminder in our lives. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.